0: Hey, everyone, Kara here from the Kara Golden Show. Look, I've started and scaled companies, but when I first started podcasting, figuring out the workflow for this business was a real challenge. There were so many moving parts that I needed to learn from scheduling and recording to editing and promoting each episode. But once I streamlined the process, things got easier. I was able to focus more on bringing in amazing guests and delivering great content, which was such a relief. Thinking about this experience reminded me of the challenges many face managing their business every day. Whether you are the CEO or working supporting one, you need the right tools to streamline processes, especially when it comes to shipping and handling orders that's where ShipStation comes in. ShipStation makes it easy to manage your shipments from all your sales channels. ShipStation automates tasks, prints shipping labels in bulk, and keeps your customers informed, freeing up your time to focus on growing your business. If you're looking for a way to simplify shipping and make your business more efficient, ShipStation is the solution. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time too. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me and my team to manage orders from anywhere. Print shipping labels from just a click. Yes, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable with discounts up to 89% off carrier rates. And who wouldn't want that? Plus, an easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses as well? ShipStation just makes it easier so your business can grow. And yes, even when you're on your summer vacation, ShipStation is it. Work less and ship more with ShipStation, the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to shipstation.com and use code CARA, KARA, K A R A to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's shipstation.com, code KARA. Use code KARA for a free 60-day trial. That's shipstation.com, promo code KARA. I am We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so thrilled. We have our next guest here. We have Jessica Ewing, who is the founder and CEO of a very, very cool company called Literati. If you are an Unapologetic lover of literature, what kind of startup do you go and create? Well, Jessica can tell you because that's exactly what she did. Her goal was really to elevate literacy outcomes by connecting readers with books, initially starting with the kids' line. I certainly hope that they go a lot further and expand into lots of other readers as well, and hopefully she'll get into that a little bit. But she became an entrepreneur after starting her career in product management at Google. Oh, and she is a co-owner of five different patents in consumer technology, by the way, consumer technology design. Um, A little bit of an underachiever? No, not really. (laughs) I can't wait to hear uh, more about her journey. And like I said, after experiencing her company and watching it grow. I was so, so thrilled to be able to have her here with us today to hear a little bit more about her experience. So
1: welcome, Jessica. <laughs> Thanks, Kara. It's really great to be here. Um excited to chat with you today and get into all the things.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So let's start at the beginning. Um, I think in Silicon Valley, we call it you know, the elevator Uh, speech. So how would you describe Literati and what you do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at Literati, we're we're really trying to find, you know, the perfect books for kids at the perfect time, you know, and kids, you know, they're changing and they're growing, they're adapting, you know, and, and parents are busy. You know, finding the right book at the right time can be life changing. I mean, I think that we all know that. You know, as as adults, you know, you find a certain book and it affects you in a certain way, and it's just a really important you know problem to to be solved. And so, we're aiming to really solve that problem through you know a variety of products. We've got a kids subscription book club. We operate school book fairs. We even do some some original publishing as well. But yeah, we are we're really trying to focus on finding books that help kids. Kids really deepen their interest in subjects and spark new interests in, in other subjects.
0: That's so cool. So let's back up a little bit. You, I mentioned that you were in product management at Google, and so I get asked this question when I'm speaking on college campuses all the time: Should I just go and start a company, or should I go and work for a company? And my experience was actually working for. Initially in media and then in tech and so and then starting my own company eventually, but I found actually going and working for incredible companies and people more than anything was able to gain confidence and plus come up with the right idea that I really wanted to work on every single day. But I'm curious to hear what your response is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I started at at Google, you know, just right out of college. And, um, you know, my background was more technical. I, I, you know, I studied symbolic systems in college, which was a mixture of kind of computer science, philosophy, psychology. And, um, you know, and I really just, you know, I started out, I just was, you know, my parents were were just hoping I was employable, you know, like right out of school. And so, I mean, Google was my first job, you know, out of college. And um, I was thrilled to, you know, to get in the door. And um, it was a smaller company back then. I think it was around a 2,000 person company. And so, you know, being, I think it it grew, I believe in the time I was there, it grew from around a 2,000 person company to a 20,000 person company. So seeing that Seeing that growth trajectory firsthand was, you know, extraordinary, and um, you know, and and I think at that young age, just being able to kind of rub shoulders with some of the mi- the great minds that are in a company like that at that at especially at, in that early time, um, you know, was an extraordinary experience. I think. Um, You know, the only really misgiving I, you know, have about it was was funny because you asked this question of, you know, do you start your own company? Do you work for someone else? And you know, and it's it's oh, it's you know, it's a tricky, it's a tricky tension because the answer is not the same for for everyone. You know what I mean? Sometimes you need to stay with the pack, and sometimes you need to break from the pack, and it's it can you know what I mean? And it can be difficult to know is my growth in in sticking with this pack cuz this is the right pack for me and you know and I'm doing important work and I'm learning things or is it time for me to really break from the pack and kind of start over and start fresh and and find my own voice and my own footing like is is my voice being amplified by my pack or is my voice am I losing my voice my authentic voice in in this pack you know what I mean and I think yeah. that that's some some of the some of the tension that I think we all feel I didn't leave Google to start a company, I left Google to be a writer. Um, and so that was the big move for me. It was just a move from tech to the arts. And I wanted to be in, you know, books and literature every day. And And, and a company was, was nowhere on the radar at that time. But, you know, things happen and, and you grow and you change and the arc of the story goes from there.
0: It's interesting hearing you say that you were at Google when you know there were a couple thousand i was at america online when it was kind of a similar situation where yeah. it went through that hyper growth and you know definitely i didn't even know what a hockey stick was until i was in it right <laughs> and you know i i was actually working out of san francisco but the main office was in just outside of dc in virginia and you know every week i would show up and there'd be New people, and you know, and yeah. some of them worked for me. Right? It was just, yeah. it was crazy. And anytime you <laughs> experience that, it's really hard to describe to people if they haven't been through it. And obviously, you have been through it. I think the other thing that I really gained as I look back at that experience is that I really loved the build. Right? I loved the early stage, not just maintenance. I loved kind of the creating and you know, building outside of the box. and But I didn't know that until I actually started my own company, that that was really what was really exciting to me. Um, So I think that that's another really big point as well, you know, just in terms of wanting to do something different. Sometimes people say, like, you're saying you want to be a journalist, but then you went and started a company from it. So, you know, it's definitely everybody's journey ends up being different and it'll be interesting it's so to... different yeah yeah
1: yeah i absolutely and i mean i think that like if your journey looks like anybody else's you know or your path looks like anybody else's that you know like it should, you know, it, it's not going to, you know, yeah. an authentic path is going to look so unique. And sometimes when you're in it, it can be just so twisting and turning. And you're just like, why am I here? <laughs> you yeah. know? And it kind of like all comes together. I think when you look back at it, but it like when you're in the moment, you're just like, what, what, why am I here? What is going yeah. on? What am I do? You know, what am I doing? You know?
0: Well, and obviously there's a tech angle uh, to, you know, what, you were doing at literati. So, well, before we even get into that, I'd love to hear so, you know, you made this decision to actually start the company which came after you decided to be a journalist. So, what what was that jump then? What like how yeah. long did
1: it take all of those kind of all questions of thing, all yeah. of the things yeah i mean i left google and you know my goal was to just be a writer i wanted to spend the rest of my life writing books and i you know i i started working on a novel for for 5 years and i just you know was working alone i thought that this was going to be the rest of my life you know, I thought that you know I had always loved writing as a kid for a while. Like you know, if you would ask me as a kid what I wanted to be, it was always you know some combination of a screenwriter or uh, you know a novelist or a playwright or it just it it would always involve the written word. You know, I was I was in my my mid to late twenties um, when I left Google and and. You know, it was not a popular choice, you know, like leaving <laughs> leaving a secure, you know, tech job with free food and snacks um, to go, you know, at the time I was sort of wandering around the desert, like writing a novel around living off the land <laughs> and like the juxtaposition between the world of tech and the world of nature and, and sort of... Those different parts of ourselves and our sort of rational side, our intuitive side, our analytical side, our creative side. I mean, these were tensions that I felt deeply inside myself, and this is these these were the tensions that I was, you know, kind of exploring in in my work, and you know, and I spent five years trying to, you know, p- piece this together, and you know, I discovered a lot of things during those five years. You know, first of all, I discovered that you know, f- fiction is really difficult. Fiction is really hard and and fiction is harder, I think, than for me than nonfiction, you know, in many ways. And I was, you know, trying to piece together this novel. And what I will say is that, you know, you talked about how you discovered you love to build, you know, after five years of writing alone, then going and trying to find an agent, you know, finding a publishing agent and, You know, learning about the world of books and publishing and literature. And I felt this desire to build again. And I didn't ever think I would. You know, I didn't, I thought I was done. I thought I just was going to be an introvert and isolated and just, you know, write my, write my books. It took five years for that, that impetus to kind of find itself. But once I had like this small team going and we were exploring ideas and I was building and creating products again, it was just like, wow, wow. Like this is, I love this. You know, I miss this. I miss being part of a team. I miss creating things with people. And this is so much fun. And I think Literati for me is kind of the marriage of those two experiences, you know, and they're two kind of... extreme ends i spent 5 years doing consumer technology building consumer technology you know at google and then 5 years basically exploring you know my own creativity and and literary voice in isolation and and literati is sort of the marriage of the two
0: so was there anybody or any specific instance that sort of led you to think okay i've got a Really focus on literacy because there's a lot of journalists that are out there that you know want to write and whether it's books or articles or any type of medium, but then they're not thinking about creating a mission-driven company like you have. So I'd love to kind of connect that yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, I moved to Austin and and I thought I was going to work as a writer and start like like write in the morning and start a company in the afternoon mm-hmm. <laughs> which was totally crazy right yeah. but i didn't actually want to totally give up writing i just was like oh i just i want to start this business and i saw so much opportunity in the space of books and literature actually because if you look at the sort of venn diagram of the people who you know do tech and the people who do arts and and literature that it's a small overlap you know it's not it's not it's not everybody right and um, and I just saw a lot of opportunity and I think that, you know, I was exploring a number of ideas in, of for startups in the books and literature space. And I saw a number of different problems that, you know, that needed to be solved. You know, how do you connect a, a writer to an agent or a publisher? How do you discover how do you discover which which books are you know out there? What are what are the unfinished manuscripts in in people's desk drawers that you know that are dying to you know to, to come out and to be finished? How do you market a book? How do you discover a book? Um, you know, and then more on the consumer side, how do you how do you solve the paradox of choice problem? Because there's just millions of books coming out every year, and it's like how do you find the one, you know how do you sift through everything and find the books that are, that are right for you? And so I became very fascinated with this discovery problem, you know? So I would say like, I went from being a writer, trying to sort of figure out how to sell my own work to thinking about how do people discover books? You know, how do you, how do you discover great books? And, and that was really where I was sitting with my best friend who had just had her first child and we were talking through this problem, specifically this problem of how do you, how you match someone with the perfect book? Like, what is the mechanism for doing that? Is that, is that mechanism broken? You know, is, is that discovery mechanism? Because it's changed so much over the years, you know? Um, and she started sharing with me some of the books that she was discovering for her, her newborn son and some hmm. books that a friend of hers were, she goes, you know, I would be lost without my friend Haley and i was like tell me more about that she said well you know this problem that exists of finding the perfect book she's like i can't tell you how much how much harder this problem is for finding books for my son cuz i don't know you know i just became a parent and and she's like the only books i know are you know for kids are are sort of you know sort of classics or you know what i grew up with as a kid like i don't and i don't even have time to take a shower like let alone yeah. scour around and find like curate this like Perfect, but but she understood the importance of reading, but she just had no time, and so so I remember sitting with her on the couch, and um, you know, and her sharing with me, she said, you know, I would be lost without Haley, and I'm like, and she starts handing these different books to me that a very smart friend of hers who knows children's literature was curating for her, and she's like, look at this look at this. Isn't this genius? And so we were sitting on the couch together and she's like, isn't this genius? And she would pass me these different kids books and we would laugh and laugh and, and, and it just, it was like, that was the moment where I really fell in love with kids literature because Kara it's a wonderful place to spend your days it's 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 yeah. some of the most interesting art and I think that we don't necessarily find it because most parents just default to classics or you know what they knew as kids or whatever and there's just a tremendous amount of brilliant work being done in that space. And I was just like, ah, this is a, this is a space I want to work in. You know, I, I love, love this and I love this. And, you know, and the messages are so universal and, and some of the work is just so beautiful. It's, it's, it's an uplifting space to be, and it's a, it's a wonderful place to build kind of, you know, more aspirational brand.
0: So for people who are, have not received Literati, tell us what you're delivering then. So I know you've described the service using data technology and personalization um, to yeah. improve literacy outcomes, but talk to me a little bit about, you know, sort of how you're different from um, maybe somebody going to a bookstore, for example, to pick up some books.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's a great question. And it's best told through a story actually of where it started and where it where it ended. So, you know, it started with, you know, us just building these different clubs, you know, so so it was very basic when we first started. It was just like, you know, you could join Club Neo or Club Sprout or Club Nova. And it was all just it it all started out just age based. And we would send, you know, let's just say you had a, a two and a half year old and you would join Club Neo and we would send you five curated books that, you know, that we just thought were brilliant for ages zero to three. And you would get to kind of explore those for a week, you know, at home, buy buy the ones you want and send the rest back. And, you know, we were trying to solve this problem that parents face when buying kids books online, which is just that it's really hard to predict which books kids will gravitate to like it's hard to predict which books kids will land sometimes kids will get obsessed with something and they'll want to read it you know a hundred times and it's just this is the book that I want to read a hundred times and that's actually important for for brain development and repetition um, and parents are trying to find those favorites but when you're shopping particularly online, you know it's difficult, and and sometimes taking kids to a bookstore, especially little ones, is 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 challenging. You know, yeah. you know, there's there's too many choices. Um, there's a lot of toys and distractions at, at most bookstores, and um, it's just not, it's not an experience that's designed for you know or optimized for for kids. I mean, most kids read at night. They read after bath time. Um, read before bed. And so it it seemed like a home product, you know, a home delivery product was really the right way to go. So it started out very basic. It was just like all the technology that we were building was all reverse logistics and supply chain technology that was just designed to, um, you know, take the books back. So, you know, send the box out, let people try the books for a week buy what they want send the rest back and so we were building basically an engineering reverse logistics technology to enable that you know a, a choice product for consumers so cool. and that's where it started to get really interesting because at the beginning you know we would we would sit around the room and we would fight over what went in the box <laughs> and so you know you can imagine like you know there's a certain amount of of you know of taste making and you know that that's going on here and and you know, certain books that, you know, we, that we feel passionate about, like, oh, you know, this is the greatest story or this has the greatest illustrations or this is a book that that is a hidden gem that that and we just dug so deep. You know, we dug so deep. We looked at thousands of books. And if something wasn't in the top, you know, one out of a thousand, it we wouldn't even consider it. I, and so, so the service we were providing early on was just finding these hidden gems and we would get notes from customers all the time that were just like, you know, I love kids literature. I would, you know, we have, you know, we've got a great bookshelf already, but, you know, I just would never have found this, this, this selection, yeah. you know, without the service. And, and, and that's really the value that we were providing, but where it got really interesting and keep in mind, I studied, you know, I studied a certain amount of computer science and artificial intelligence at at Stanford, where it got really interesting was that, you know, the fights that we were having over (laughs) what went in the box quickly got resolved when the data would come back. And we would see certain books kept by our customers with like, certain books had a 90% keep rate and certain books had, you know, say a 30% keep rate, you know, and a 30% keep rate, you know, meant, you know, I forgot to send back the box. That's what that's what a 30% keep rate meant. That, you know, that didn't mean that we had and so we were looking at it and we were just like, this is so interesting. We we kind of inadvertently built an A B testing platform for kids' books because we were, you know, just trying to find out what was good, but our customers were just by their purchasing choices telling us what was what was landing and, and what wasn't. And so Really, where we've gotten today is, you know, taking over. We have, you know, um, all these data points from having operated over these years, and um, and now we're operating on a much more sophisticated level where we're able to say, okay, you know, we know that these, you know, these books are are popular for kids in this age range, but able to take it to a much more sophisticated level and to let parents actually fill out. You know, a profile where they can, can tell us you know, okay, this is the level my child's reading at. These are their interests. These are the types of books they like. These are the types of books they don't like. And we're actually able to personalize every single box to every single child where we're no longer finding like, here's the best five books for ages three to five, but here's the five best books that we believe are gonna land for your reader, you know, who's reading at at this age range, who's at this stage in their intellectual development, who's, you know, obsessed with these topics. Right now. And that's really, really what gives us an edge because we want to, you know, appeal to kids' interests and also spark new interests. But there's a fun fact in the the world of literacy that I love to bring up, which is that if you give a child a book about a subject that they're interested in and and kids go through phases, you know, dinosaurs, unicorns, (laughs) you know, trash trucks, you know, transportation, you know, you see all these phases But if you can give a child a a book about a subject that they're interested in, they'll actually read one to two to sometimes three levels higher than the reading level that they're at in order to be able to stretch to to access the information, which makes total sense to us as adults, right? Like we'll read something that's hard to read or a little beyond our pay grade if it's about a subject matter that we're absolutely fascinated by. And and it can be a great way, I think, to spur um, reading and intellectual development among kids and and get them really motivated and excited to be learning with intrinsic motivation, not extrinsic motivation.
0: I was just having this conversation with my uh, high school Age, son, because there are certain topics, certain subjects that he is not that psyched about. And there's yeah. others that he's, you know, totally excelling. And unfortunately, there are things that you actually do have to take in school, especially in high school. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's sort of a challenge, but it's, uh, he'll get through it. But it's, um, you know, I think it's along the same Uh, topic, uh, or uh, the the same type of thing that you're talking about, I think is, yeah, same wavelength, wavelength for sure. So uh, fundraising, obviously, funding is is something that every founder (laughs) Uh uh, that I know of is, um, you know, even if, they feel like it's easy peasy. It's um, you know, it's stressful, right?
1: Finding the uh, right yeah,
0: 20, investors <laughs> and especially if you've never done it before. Um, that's a whole oh.
1: other piece. Oh yeah. The I could we could do a whole a whole session on fundraising and that is so you know, I'll just start out by saying that it was not easy for me, not easy at all. And so Easy peasy and fundraising are not two words that that you know two expressions that would ever come in the same sentence for me, especially for a category like books. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I mean, this is challenging, right?
0: What advice would you give to other founders that are out there, sort of looking for looking for money? I mean, is there any like things that you wish you would have known? And oh, a hundred percent.
1: No, where do I even start? I mean, first of all. You know, I'll experience share a little bit on what you know the, some of the challenges that I faced and um, some of the darker moments for me, you know, in the process. Which was, you know, you know, I started out fundraising and you know I didn't I didn't know what it took initially to get funding, and I was trying to fundraise, you know, pre revenue with just an idea, and I thought that maybe you know my um, you know, history building products at Google you know or my reputation there as a product leader you know would help get me started and and I quickly realized that it wasn't enough right and I was getting just stopped left and right and having worked for a company like Google, it made it um, easier for me to get some some of the introductions. I got a chance you know a seat at the table or whatever but there were so many things that I didn't know. No, (laughs) Kara. So other, you know, I mean, I think my first pitch ever was, you know, Sequoia. That was like the first pitch I I ever gave. And it was just like, I had no idea what I was doing. And, you know, I I just didn't understand any of the dynamics of how venture capital works. So I would go in there and just guns blazing and be like, you know, this could be like a $50 million company. And it was just like, you know, like who cares? You know what I mean? And it was just like, I just didn't understand the, the, the table stakes. I didn't understand that uh, the dynamics of you're looking for, you know, to hit a home run, to build a billion dollar company, to, you know, how VCs view these investments that, you know, many of them will fail, but the ones that succeed need to go big. You know, I didn't understand that. And so I, I got stopped out a lot in my early rounds because, you know, my idea wasn't big enough. And it was sort of like shocking to me because I'm such a big idea thinker. But, you know, I needed to go think through, you know, how is this going to get to, you know, not just a $50 million company, but, you know, a, a, a billion dollar company, you know, a, a $5 billion company. And so, you know, that was really the first thing was just like, is this, you know, is this big enough? And I will say that, you know, I was lucky because the all the VCs that said no to me, and there were many said no to me. Um, respectfully and politely, and they left me with some kind of insight or hint or intro or um, reason why or something that made me better, right? And so I would say that my first piece of advice when it comes to fundraising is that sometimes a no can be just as important as a yes, right? And if... If the investor, if you're willing to just go a little bit deeper with the investor on why they said no, that can give you some really critical piece of information about your business. And maybe there's a hole in it or a weakness or something that you're not seeing that can make you stronger. So my first piece of advice is just, you know, pitch anyone that will, you know, take the meeting, but don't take a no as a waste of time because you, you know, didn't get the funding, see what the lesson is in it and, you know, and make your pitch stronger. The second piece of advice I would say about fundraising is that know that it's hard for everybody. Um, I haven't talked to a founder, um, that I know, you know, male or female. I, I mean, very few that are just like, yeah, this was like a really easy process. And I just like walked in there and, and, and I thought that, and I thought that it was easy for certain people, you know? And I remember talking to one of my former colleagues at Google about this and he was kind enough to share with me, like, he's like, listen, he's like, I, I get so many, rege- I'm like you, I'm like, people should be dying to write you a check. You know, you've got all the right things, all the right degrees, all the right. And he's like, no, it's <laughs> like, no, it's brutal. He's like, I just, he's like, if I you know, I often don't even get a second meeting, like only one out of 15 times do I even make, and I'm just like, he's describing his stats to me. And I was like, whoa, okay, that's shocking. And so, you know, he was kind enough to share that with me. And that really gave me a, like, kind of a shift in perspective, you know? And so I'd say those, you know, it's, you know, it's hard for everybody. So I'd say the, you know, the first thing is really, sometimes a no can be just as valuable as a yes. Um, the second thing is that, know that, that if you're getting, I I wasn't used to facing that much rejection, candidly, you know, getting, getting a a door slammed in your face, like 15 times in a row, you can just feel like an absolute utter failure. So I think it's important for people to just know the odds that like, (laughs) you know, that that's like normal. And once you like normalize for that, you know, you stop taking it so personally, um, because it is, it is normal. You know, and then I'd say, you know, beyond that, it's just in the early stages, it is hard because you need, you need vision, you need talent and you need traction. And, and it's very, very difficult to raise if you don't have all three. Did you raise from angels? Um, I did. Yeah. I raised, my first round was from angels and a combination of angels and funds. So about half angels, one fund. That's
0: great. Because I think a lot of pre-revenue, uh, stuff, unless you are clearly a tech company with a giant idea. It's, um, you know, it's really tough, especially today to walk into a VC pre-revenue and say, hey, you know, write me a check. So the one other thing that I'll say, which, you know, you've probably realized, and I certainly realized this when I started Hint, and I had the same ease of being able to um, you know, I knew people in Silicon Valley, and and uh, was able to get the meetings. And um, uh, I actually had many people asking me um, who was taking care of the children, because they, you know, quickly researched that I had four children, and so they just decided that I couldn't actually start a company. Um, at, oh, at the wow. Same. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. So I'd walk into a
0: few of these <laughs> so meetings. you got that question? Oh, yeah. Um, and, and my husband would come in too. And actually, what was so funny is he would, uh, and they would ask me. And, you know, I'd say, he's he's the father of all yeah. four of my kids. and yeah. And they
1: said, yeah, but he's here with you. So who's, who's watching the kids? I mean, this yeah. Is- I mean, do you mind if I ask you a question about yeah. your experience yeah. fundraising? Okay. So, so I've had this conversation with many women because it can be when, when you're just lose, you know, losing and believe me, I've had, I've had so many no's. It's just, it's, it's hard. And especially in a category like books, it's yeah. just like that, you know, it's just like, wow. Uh, I had a lot of, a lot, but, but on the t- subject of being a woman raising, you know, specifically that it can be hard to sort of sift out, you know, am I, am I, is this, is this a factor? Is this hurting me? You know, and, and like, it, like certainly the questions that you you've gotten, and I've spoken to so many female founders about this. And, you know, one thing that comes up is that, you know, in the science or in the literature that oftentimes in these VC meetings, you know, women are, are men are asked more about opportunities and women are, are questioned more about risks. And I want, I wanted to know if you kind of felt that in your own process that you were being asked more about the risks of like, well, how, you know, how are you avoiding these risks rather than the opportunities of just sort of like, how big can this get?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it was, I, and it wasn't just one VC, it was multiple, um, you know, VCs that asked me this question. What I thought, and I'll answer it sort of in two parts, but what I thought was so interesting, we would walk out of the meeting and my husband, I would be like, sort of like, Okay, here we go again. Like you know, they're asking me who's you know why aren't you who's at home? Take, yeah. Who's taking care <laughs> of the kids? And he would view it as you know why do they just think I'm a deadbeat dad? Right? Like he was uh, offended that they didn't they were never uh, lo-
1: he 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 viewed it in a totally different lens, totally yeah.
0: different lens, but also equally offended. I mean, that, yeah, that it, which I thought was fascinating <laughs> on many many levels. But anyway, but. I, but here's the other thing that I will say, and this is how, and this relates to you too, what I realized later on. And as I mentioned to you earlier, I, you know, wrote my, my book Undaunted. It talks about this in there too, that, that people invest in what they know. And so I walk in with, my drink hint and i'm talking about my diet soda by diet coke addiction and they're all nodding their head probably none of them drank diet coke because the majority <laughs> of people who drink diet coke are women there are some men but they were all men sitting across from me and yeah. i'm pitching them this idea and a couple times people said you know i need to ask my my i think my wife drinks diet coke I'm pretty sure she does. <laughs> and and um, I'm going to ask her, like, how many she drinks a day. And I always tell people, you know what? He never did, right? They just yeah. tell you that
1: yeah, just yeah, 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 to yeah, get yeah. you
0: out of the room, right? And, yeah. and, and they're, they're, they're good at sort of being cordial, but mm-hmm. they never really do. And at the end of the day, they invest in what they know. And yeah. so my question for you is how many of those people are actually buying books for their children. I don't know how many they yeah. are, but I but I think it's like maybe they aspire to but they're not. And so I think like mm-hmm. they don't tell you that, right? Yeah. When you're when you're in. So, you know, I call them <laughs> the doubters, right? They're like, "Oh, yep. you know, there's this guy up in Seattle. He's, you know, he does something like that. Like they're not purchasers, right? Of this. yeah. And
1: so it's, it, it's fascinating because I- It is fascinating. It is fascinating. The worst meeting I ever had was with an angel who just basically ended the call with, and this was, this was a friend even, this was like someone I knew. And so I, you know, was having a friendly conversation. I was like, man, you know, I just keep getting stopped out by these VCs and, you know, and I don't know why. And he just goes, he's like, You should just, he just, he goes, it's just because you're out of your league here. Um, He's (laughs) like, you need to just, he just goes like, I'm just, I'm your friend and I want to level with you and I want to be honest with you. He's like, there's nothing interesting to be done in books and there's nothing interesting to be done in music. Those are two dead categories and you should forget you ever had this idea and I'm just being your friend. I'm telling you, you should forget you ever had this idea. You should go home. Otherwise you're going to come away from this experience hating books forever. And, you know, the reason why this isn't, this isn't going for you is you're just, you're out of your league here. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I just like, it took me, you know, the whole night, probably the whole week to shake off that conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, because it's just, we take these, we're founders. We know these problems are real and we take these rejections so personally mm-hmm. right yeah like because it's hard it's impossible not to it's impossible to build a company without putting your your heart and soul and mind and body and all the things into it that those are the table stakes right yeah and then when you get these rejections, it's impossible for me anyway, even though I'm, I've am i gotten the rejections so many times to not take them personally. And it's a sting every single time. And it's just like you have to kind of come back and kind of re-architect your ego every single time. <laughs> like, no, it's, going, I, right?
0: I, you know, I'm reliving it. I mean, I've got so many, <laughs> we could talk, we could have a whole session on, you know, fundraising because it really is, um, you know, it, it. Everything that you're saying is true, and I write a lot on LinkedIn. In particular, I do a ton of writing about this. But the, uh, it, you know, it's it's interesting because we care more uh, about when the message about doubting you comes from friends and comes from family. It hurts, right? Yeah. They're trying to be honest with you and, but it hurts. Like when it's somebody that you don't know and, you know, you'll never see again, right? Like they can doubt yeah. you and you can brush it off, but it's much harder. And it, and, you know, you have to find a way to just move forward more than anything yep. else and find, and, you know, the last thing I'll say, people always ask me, was it harder to raise money as a woman? And, um, I've, uh, I sort of famously said this at a Fortune conference on stage a few years ago. And I said, Does it matter? And, you know, whoever, I think Patty Sellers was interviewing me. And I said, uh, She said, Yeah, it does matter. And I said, Well, but the point is, I want to build my company. So does it really matter if it was harder? I mean, you know, are they, profiling me in some way to say like, oh, she's got four kids at home. She, I mean, how is she going to have time to do this? Like, you know, all of these things or, you know, ah, oh, she had a Diet Coke addiction. Like, you know, who has <laughs> that? You know, like it's just whatever they're saying, you know, maybe they don't want to invest in women, right? May, uh, you never really know what the story is, but
1: does it yeah. matter? right? Yeah, exactly. I I mean, I think that like that, you know, I eventually got to the same place where I was like, all right, you know, I can't boil the ocean here. I just, I want to move forward. You know, I can't boil the ocean. I want to move forward. And I was like, hundred percent. is it true? I I, I sort of arrived at the same place. I'm like, is it harder? You know, probably, but are there women getting funded? Yes. Okay. Well then I need to figure out how to go be one of them. Right. You know, to move forward, like, right. And if there wasn't an example of a single woman, you know, getting funding, but there were there there are, you know, and so the question is, is it harder? You know, I agree with you. It's just sort of probably, yes. But, you know, if you want to build a company and you you want to build a venture back company, which by the way, like, you know, I don't think that's the only way to to start a company. Obviously there's different, you know, ways of of funding, you know, coming and and that opens up this whole can of worms and um, you know, and pressures and 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 all these other things that it's not for everybody, right? And so Um, but if you want to go that route and you want to take that swing and you want to live that life and you're willing to commit, you know, the seven to 10 years, you know, or whatever you're, it's a one-way door, you know, once you take that, that first check, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're in it.
0: Well, I love, love, love what you are doing. And if there are any investors out there that are as interested as, uh, As I am in what Jessica is doing, I mean, definitely, it's a great product. I should preface this by saying I am not an investor, but I'm a huge fan of what she's doing, and she's done a terrific job of building a great company. Definitely, we will put this in the show notes all about where to sign up for Literati and also follow Jessica a little bit more. But I really appreciate your time, Jessica, for sure. Thanks, Kara.